So welcome back to Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir and today we're going to talk about the doing and the thinking about craft. Um, I recently read an article that ha has had me thinking a whole lot about it and it started with someone asking, where do you get your ideas? I honestly do not think that there is an author in the world who has not been asked that question. And I do want to um, take just a moment and share a couple of things that Neil Gaiman has said. He's a very funny man. Um, here's what he, talk, he talks about in his blog that's titled, Where Do You Get Your Ideas? Every profession has its pitfalls. Doctors, for example, are always being asked for free medical advice. Lawyers are asked for legal information. Morticians are told how interesting a profession that must be. And then people change the subject fast. And writers are asked where we get our ideas from. In the beginning, I used to tell people the not very funny answers, the flip ones. From the idea of the month club, I'd say, or from a little ideas shop in Bognor Regis. From a dusty old book full of ideas in my basement. Or even from Pete Atkins. The last is slightly esoteric and may need a little explanation. Pete Atkins is a screenwriter and novelist friend of mine. And we decided a while ago that when asked, I would say I got them from him, and he'd say he got them from me. It seemed to make sense at the time. Then I got tired of the not very funny answers, and this, these days I tell people the truth. I make them up, I tell them, out of my head. The thing is, when you talk about where do you get your ideas, it's the wrong question. Ideas aren't what create characters or stories or words that can move readers to joy or anger or tears. You don't tuck yourself into bed at night looking forward to reading some ideas before you go to sleep. Ideas, I would propose, are vastly overrated. Beginning writers seem to guard theirs anxiously, plastering copyright notices all over unfinished opera and asking editors to sign non-disclosure agreements lest their ideas be somehow stolen. And people in general are usually baffled and sometimes irate when an idea they've had finds its way into the public via a movie or an advertising slogan or a time-saving gadget, wondering how someone else could have possibly had that thought. Well, they can. And they do. Ideas, my friends, are a dime a dozen, and I may even be overestimating their worth here. I don't want to discount the value of a good idea. I just want to point out the fallacy that it must somehow be unique to one mind. Events, history, other people, politics, weather, all these and more are constantly shaping the way we interact with the world, the way our brains make sense of it, and what parts of it we choose to label as important. It's not just natural, therefore, that given similar sets of experiences, different people at around the same time might produce similar ideas. What is extraordinary is when that doesn't happen. Ideas are everywhere, plucked from our dreams, half-remembered from an old book, discovered when walking on the beach, screaming at us from headlines. What matters isn't that the idea came to us. What matters is what we do with it. That, and not the random and sometimes fleeting acquisition of a thought, is what creativity is really about. Here's an analogy. I am not a musician, but from time to time, a tune presents itself to me seemingly out of nowhere and I hum it. 
It feels new, it feels different, and I take pleasure in indulging a thought about my own heretofore hidden talents. Does that make me a composer? Not even a little bit. Or imagine two painters. They both visualize a spectacular sunset. One goes to a cafe to ponder the idea of the sunset, and the other goes into the studio and paints the sunset. Which one is the artist? And that's the other fallacy about ideas. It is the act of creation that creates, not its origin story. Placing the emphasis primarily on the idea fails to distinguish between the relatively easy process of being creative in the abstract and the infinitely more difficult process of innovating in the concrete. Creativity isn't about having great original thoughts. It's about turning those original thoughts into something real, a novel, a symphony, a painting, a dance. Ideation and innovation aren't synonymous. It's a matter of idea generation versus idea implementation, and confusing the two leads to laziness. Anyone can sit in the sun and dream of becoming a great artist, but until they get up and do the work, learn the craft, practice the sequences, hone the art, that's all it's going to be, a dream. The act of creation is just that, an act. It is, as many of us like to say, putting the seat of one's pants in the seat of the chair and keeping it there. Sweating the work, finding the right words, the images, pondering the plot or the rhythm or the expression, getting frustrated, swearing, feeling despair of ever creating anything beautiful and still staying there through the hard labor and the frustration and the despair, staying there until something, that elusive it, has come into being, something where there was nothing before. That is creation. Jean Anouy said, to say yes, you have to sweat and roll up your sleeves and plunge both hands into life up to the elbows. Craft is doing. You learn to write by writing. You learn to paint by painting. The creative life comes with a lifelong apprenticeship that begins with first paintings or first stories and continues throughout an artist's career as each new piece poses its questions and makes its demands. You learn your craft by doing. There is no substitute for getting to the work. I was talking once with a visual artist who said this to me. I wrote it down because it seemed profound and helpful. She said, I tend to do a lot of thinking and tend to think that I can get a lot done by thinking, but I'm beginning to understand that creating happens by doing something, not by thinking about it. What I want to do is improve the relationship between my thinking and my doing to get more of a balance. For me, this means less thinking and more doing. To focus more on doing, I need to stop being so cautious and to make creating less a special activity and more an everyday activity. I love that because if you think about something as special and apart from the rest of what you're doing, you never get to it. You have to put it on a calendar. I'm going to work on this special thing on the 10th. Whereas if creating is part of your everyday life, then you just keep doing it. We want to think about our creative work, about what it should be and what it needs to succeed. But we also want to get our thinking and our doing in balance. 
you think about a visual composition. Then sooner rather than later, you test out your idea in the crucible of reality on a canvas. You think about what it might need, but then sooner rather than later, you give it what it needs and learn whether or not you were right in your prediction. You step back, but then you step forward. This is true for writers as well. Just get that first draft down. Sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not going to work. But as long as you've got that forward momentum, you're going to get the work done. It's fine to give credence to the idea that we must incubate work and that therefore there will be times when we're not actually working. That is true. But we must give at least as much credence to the idea that without doing a ton of work, we won't have a clue what we're doing. Thanks for joining me. This has been Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir, and I'll see you next time.